One of the most prominent voices when it comes to encouraging people to share their faith it comes from a very unlikely source. He's a known atheist, but he's known more as an entertainer. In the last decade, there's been a video that's been playing around about the, uh, the entertainer, Penn Gillette, you know, from Penn and Teller. And he talks about an engagement that he has after a show that a well-intending Christian comes up to him and has shared with him um, one of those Gideon Bibles, you know, like you see in the hotels oftentimes. It's got the New Testament and the Psalms, and it's usually a little small thing, or sometimes if they spend the big money, it's the hardback version, right? But at the end of a service, a well-intended Christian just comes and begins to engage with him and gives him a gift, and I want to show you a portion of the video where Penn literally talks about the engagement of someone sharing their faith and what it means to him as an atheist. Watch this video. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. It's something to chew on today, don't you think? I mean, the reality is we sit in a room that we say Jesus Christ gave his life for the payment of our sin and life everlasting. We sit here as the saved, recognizing that there is a gift to us and when an atheist begins to be the largest proponent for the reason that we should share our faith, I think there's a moment in all of our hearts that we have to stop and say, why have we been silent, if you have? Why don't we have an urgency towards a world that does not know God's love? How bad do things have to become in our world, in our community, for us before we begin to really hurt and long and love the people around us so that they might know God's love. I just think it's interesting. 
that an atheist gives a proponent that people who wouldn't share their faith are people who don't believe in God. Is that uncomfortable for you right now? Are you, is that, 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 that's bothersome to me. We've been in this series on Jonah. And we've seen a reluctant prophet who's been given clarity about the mission and the call that is on his life. And he has rebelled and he has run and he has been reluctant in everything that he has shared. We've tried to say it in this, this simple phrase, right? God's will will be done, whether with us or in spite of us. And for the last four weeks, I've just been wrestling with where has my place been in the plan of God to help others know more about that love? Some of you may be like, well, Danny, you're a pastor. You have to think that way. No, I don't. No, I don't. I can worry myself about budgets and staffing and how to keep safety protocols in place. I can distance myself as much as anyone else in the busyness of this world. But God's will is going to be done. And it's my hope that I live a life, that I'm a part of it. We notice this cycle that's been playing out in Jonah's life, right? Where Jonah, first and foremost, uh, gets this message from God. God comes to him. And then Jonah begins to step forward where he encounters pagans, people who don't know God. This is who he's supposed to be reaching. And we're talking about the Ninevites. They're rebellious and violent people. And he's reluctant to want to see God's grace go and reach them. And then ultimately what happens is Jonah begins to talk with God as he begins to experience these moments of, of awakening, of confrontation, of challenge with God. I mean, in Jonah chapter one, we see Jonah leaves behind God and he gets caught up in a storm. In Jonah chapter two, he leaves the storm, but ultimately he finds God's grace through the form of a big fish. He's given a second opportunity in chapter three and Jonah leaves this grace, but then steps right back into his bitterness. In chapter four, he sits down in his bitterness and once again, he finds the compassion and the grace of God. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 1. And here's what it says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. That's probably a word worth underlining in Scripture. This seemed very wrong. And he became angry. What happened in chapter 3 that makes chapter 4 so angry for Jonah? Well, if you remember, Jonah was given this call of taking this five-word Hebrew phrase and sharing it before the Ninevites. And it went something like this. 40 more days and your city is going to be overturned. And for three days, he went and shared this message and it began to permeate every household and every nook and cranny within the city of Nineveh so that it reached even the the average Joe to the king of the city. And that city breaks its heart and falls in a posture of repentance before God. This would seem to be the moment that Jonah wants to line up before God and get, you know, his uh, proud prophet badge. You know, he converted an entire city, you know, yes, we did it. Yeah, right, you know. But he's angry. He's angry. 
because he did not want the Ninevites to come to faith. That word wrong in chapter 4, verse 1, does not mean, God, this is a bad decision. God, I think you could have reached a better people. Jonah is challenging the justice of God and says that this is unjust, that your grace will reach people like this. And so Jonah 4 is kind of a stark awakening. Are we the kind of people like Jonah that are so concerned for our comfort and our retaliation of this world that it would even become an obstacle in front of other people who have yet to come to know the love of God. Welcome to Jonah chapter four. Here's what it says starting then in verse two. Jonah, he's gonna talk to God. Here it says, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. But I knew, oh, I knew it. I knew you were a gracious God and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. This is dramatic. <laughs> for it is better for me to die than to live. And God has a rebuttal. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? I have this picture that maybe Jonah is like the toddler who loses his stuff in the middle of a large retail store, right? You ever been in that aisle? And your kid just has a meltdown and you go, hmm, that, that's, that's a picture of Jonah. Or maybe it's the, uh, it's the high school student who tries to throw off the oppression of their parents, wants to be an adult, and then says, hey, can I have some money to go out with my friends, right? You know, it's, the, it's that irony point that you're just like, you got to be kidding me, right? But Jonah's sitting in this moment, and he goes, hey, God, let's just understand this. I could have stayed home, and we didn't have to do this. Remember, that's what I wanted. I did not want to go. I did not want to share. I did not want to have to say, but I knew you would be like this. Jonah's actually quoting the way God is described from Moses. He's confronting the very character of God. God, I didn't want to do this. You asked me to do this. And I said I didn't want to. I told you I didn't want to. I ran. I rebelled. I was reluctant. And here you did. I'm, come on, God. You did what you do. Come on. Is that really fair, God? And you hear that, and there's got to be a sense of irony in your ears. There's got to be a sense of, can this really be, can Jonah be that far off that he would lament against a group of people or would long for certain types of people not to know the love of God? Yeah. In the heart of Jonah, there is a bitterness and a brokenness that binds us to a selfishness that will drown us in the depths of ourselves. It happens sometimes through unforgiveness. It happens sometimes through our own ignorance about people or cultures 
It happens sometimes in our own rebellion and consequences. But whatever the reason, please see this tension in these two words. Right, wrong, or just or unjust. Because in the challenge of Jonah and our lives is, will God's will be done through us or will my will be pressed on God and will I hold him accountable because God doesn't do what I say? Which in the irony of that, who's really God if God does everything? That's a different message for a different time. Look what it goes on to say. Verse 5, because God asks him, is this right to be angry? Jonah, Jonah had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Like a spectator at a ballpark, he's waiting to see, is this really going to take or is God going to, is God going to react? Then the Lord provided a leafy plant. He made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah, Jonah was happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. What's his reaction? <laughs> he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Once again, we're in a moment of irony. Jonah leaves, sets up a little shelter for himself so that he can be a spectator how God may treat the Ninevites. He's got his popcorn, he's got his peanuts, he's sitting there just like he's at his favorite stadium saying, maybe, maybe, maybe God will change his mind and just smite them all. But he has built a shelter that is not adequate enough for his own comfort. It's a picture of grace. Do you realize that? That by our own works, by our own will, we can never adequately care for ourselves. And so God provides a plant that provides the shelter that Jonah really desires. And for a moment... For a moment, Jonah has a peace in his life, a happiness that is provided by God himself. We, do we smell that? Can we taste that? Can, can we pause for just a moment to recognize the times in our lives when we've tried to make things the way we want? And for whatever reason, God took that moment and just put a shade on our life to stop and to breathe. And those are moments that we're supposed to breathe deeply and go, thank you, God. It's another fingerprint of God's grace trying to pause us in the moment so that we might see his will through this moment. But the next day, 
The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. He gives a worm that begins to eat at this plant. A scorching heat and sun begins to take over the moment. The, the plant literally begins to wither, almost as if the metaphor continues to remind us that even in God's grace, our bitterness and the circumstances around us can consume us or they can conform us. And Jonah gets consumed. Now, I, I giggle about this passage because I am an emotional fella. I'm a guy full of passion. I'm a guy who's full of emotion. And I laugh because I, I see myself so much in Jonah. I want to fight God a lot. There are things in my life that I think are so unjust or should not be that way. And God's just saying, do you not see these moments of shelter? Do you not see a greater desire for you? Do you not see that my grace is sufficient for you? And I think what Jonah would say is, no, I don't. Because it feels really good to get revenge on people who have injured me. It feels really good for my life to go the way I want. It feels really good that when I line out my life and my objectives, that they come true. And God's just saying, Jonah, just stop. Would you just stop for a moment? And would you really wrestle what's right? What's wrong? What's just? What's unjust in the world that we're a part of? God has some advice, he'd like to say. Here's what he says in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it, can you say that word with me? Is it right? Can we say it a little bit louder? Is it is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is it, it is, he says. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, but you didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals? What's God just saying in that moment? You want to argue about a plant when we should be talking about people. You want to talk about the things that bring comfort to your life, but not the things of concern in the world around you. You want to point fingers at how your life is not the way you want and you miss what is really pressing into the heart of God. It's reminiscent of what God is saying to him is what he says to Job, right? 
God and Jonah, if they had a chance to pull up their chairs face-to-face, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe, looking each other in the eye, God just kind of leans forward and says, Jonah, hey, you've got a few minutes. Can you just give a good discourse on how you made that plant happen? Could you give a good discourse on how you made your life happen? Could you give a discourse of the times that your life could have, maybe should have been taken, but isn't? Friends, we we don't want that kind of experience with God. All that we have and all that we are is such a gift from God himself. The fact that we are able to sit in this room or join online, the fact that we are able to gather together in freedom of worship, the privilege that we have to begin to pause and to ponder about the greatness of God together, we, we don't want that kind of conversation with God. And yet, God allows it to us in the forms of our rebellion and running and reluctancy. And his hope is that every encounter with him would draw us closer to him. That he might know us and we might know him deeply. Just or unjust, plants or people, comfort or conforming, These are the challenges of Jonah chapter 4. Jonah gets this piece of advice. Two things. One, should I not be concerned about the great city of Nineveh? It's almost as saying, if there is a people that you despise or can't stand or are so angry against, wouldn't you want God's love to permeate every portion of their world and life, what kind of testimony could that be for the world around it? Those that are the farthest gone, in the deepest of the dark, in, in the most wounded and hurting moments, of the, don't you want God to be able to reach those people? Imagine what that might be to the world around us. The Ninevites were a part of the Assyrian Empire, known for oppression and violence and hatred. And all that Jonah could see was in his own heart, his retaliation that he desired. God says, wouldn't this be great? And then he says, and and in this city, there are 120,000 people who don't know their left hand from their right Who are people who don't know their left hand from their right? Well, Scripture talks about it oftentimes this way, that people who don't know their left hand from their right, left hand from their right, are foolish people who have no moral compass, who don't know right and wrong, who don't know a true north to life. Other commentators have speculated that those who literally don't know their left hand from their right are children. 
Let that sink in for a moment. Could our hatred, prejudice, anger get so deep in our own hearts that we are not concerned about the generations to come? So when we ask this question about eternity, we ask this question about sharing our faith, we ask this challenge of are we more committed to our own comfort than the eternity of others, you have to wrestle with Jonah. Jonah's battle with right and wrong. The message from the book of Jonah is about the overarching sovereignty of God, and it is about God's desire to reach all people with his grace through people who have experienced God's grace. And it's a picture of God's mission and God's message. And Jonah, through these four chapters, it, this is just a snapshot of who he was, who we we. We don't know who he was before. We don't necessarily know who he was after. But in these four snapshots, can we just say this? Nobody wants to be known for a snapshot. And maybe you're in a moment right now in your own life where who you were before and who you want to be after is not who you are now. And you're going, God, if I stay in this snapshot, my life my life is not worth living. Can I tell you that the message to the Ninevites was also the message for Jonah? That God was trying to overthrow his life and his rebellion and, and his bitterness and anger so that he could free him from that, that captivity to take him out of that snapshot and put him into the life that he was created to have. Maybe you're not angry against Ninevites. Maybe you're not bitter towards people. Maybe you're consumed by a bottle. Or maybe you've made some choices in a relationship. Maybe you've, maybe you've just gotten caught in a spiral of self. And God is trying to grab hold of your merry-go-round and stop it so that you can get off and go walk in his grace. Here's the truth. We are more like Jonah than we are like Jesus. If we read chapter 4, there are so many things that we see of chapter 4 that we go, that, 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 that's me. But here's the good news that I want us all to understand is that repentant hearts beat rivaled hearts. Let me say that again. Repentant hearts beat rivaled hearts every time. The character of God always speaks through and we are reminded that God does not relent on his people or his mission. God is always pursuing and God's message and God's mission is urgent. 
And so when we stop and we pause and we talk about this one, we just challenge you, is there one person that perhaps you need to share your faith with, your story with? Is there someone that you need to specifically just pause and just say, hey, can we grab coffee together? Can we talk for a moment about, about this, this life that, that you're in right now? You, you don't seem to be yourself. You don't seem to be happy. You, 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 you seem to be pursuing something else. Who's your one that you should be praying for? Who's the one that you need to be reaching out to? But the other thing about God's character is this, is that God's grace to us becomes God's grace through us. God's grace to us was never meant just to be kept for us. What was the song we used to sing as little kids? Maybe some of you grew up in church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It kind of goes like that. And then the second verse was, hide it under a bushel. No. And, and as kids, you were supposed to scream it out real loud. Like, it was absurd. I won't be that person. I hide it under a, a bushel and keep my mouth closed. Not, not even ask a friend if you can pray for him. God's grace to us should be God's grace through us. One may contend that if you have received God's grace and not extended it to others, you may not understand grace. Jonah. Jonah, as a God-fearing man, got consumed with the prejudice of his own heart. And we see it happen in our world, economically. People who are richer or poorer than us. Ethnically, people who look or speak differently than us, politically, people who vote or hold different ideologies, culturally, people who view the world outside of our normal bounds. Friends, there are a lot of causes in our world today, and we should be deeply mourning the violence that continues to happen in our Asian communities, in our black communities. We should be concerned about our blue lives that also matter, the way our world continues to polarize. But of all the causes we should be most concerned about, it is that we would be agents of God's grace in a graceless world. Are we concerned about that? Are we consumed by that? God's love is for everyone. And if the love of God is for everyone, we should be the people to bring love to others. If we belong to God, we should recognize that our life is for the betterment of others. 
And as God has saved us, God is sending us into a world that needs to know his grace. So here's my final question. Who are your, who are your Ninevites? And would you be willing to go? Let's move to our time of response. I want to go directly to our time of communion and to our time of response today. Because I want to challenge us as we open the bread to eat it, to open the juice and drink the juice, we are embracing this moment of reminder that we are gathering because of God's grace today, whether it be in person or whether it be online. And in this moment, we have a chance to pause and we say, thank you, God. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for dying our death on the cross. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for providing for us a life everlasting. But we also need to say then, because you have saved me, God, where will you send me? Maybe it's to a grain elevator. Maybe it's to a classroom. Maybe it's to an open field where you begin to prepare the soil. And you know, one thing you've got a lot of time to do is to pray or to text. Maybe it's on the front line of our community. Maybe it's giving that vaccine. But as we eat this bread and drink this juice, may we not eat it. May we not drink it until we are ready to say, God, thank you. Send me. So I want to encourage you today to consider not taking communion. I want you to take this home today. I want you to put this somewhere that you're going to see it. Because this is what Jonah didn't recognize. Is that God's grace to us should go through us. So if you want to chew on this later today, set this to the side and just pray for a moment. But if you're ready to say yes, to say thank you, let's be reminded that Jesus took the bread and he ate it. took the juice or the wine and he drank it. And his message and his mission is what propels us as the people of God, that God's grace might be extended to everyone. If you have a prayer request, if you have a praise that you want to share, if you have a next step of faith, if there's a, a decision to be baptized or to get connected in a different way, I want to encourage you to use the app today to take a next step. Just go into the app, go to Sundays and just follow the prompts. And maybe there's something that you're consumed about. You're caught in a snapshot today that you need to get changed. But don't let today go by without 
responding to what God is doing in this moment. And last, but not least, we have a chance to give of our tithes and offerings. And I would encourage you to be reminded that when we give, it's not to simply pay for lights or bring a staff together. There is a message and a mission that this church is pursuing deeply. Would you partner with us with what God is doing here so that the whole world might know God's love? Let's stand and let's continue to respond in worship.